Hello and welcome to Radio SGN. I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum, pronouns they, them, and with me, as per usual, is Lindsay Anderson. Lindsay, hello. How are you? What's new? Doing good. Well, what's new is I'm back down to just three animals in my apartment for listeners that tuned in last week. Great. Which ones? Oliver, who is heavily featured on our SGN book club Instagram account. He's my gorgeous black cat. Peter, my drag queen dog, who goes by Patricia when in drag, and Benji, our newest pet, who is the least insane out of the three of them somehow. Why do you have so many animals? Um, Because I don't have human friends. Got it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, Monday yet again, so we're here back on the show. Will you have aged by the time this podcast episode comes out? Yes. We're recording this on Friday the 20th. My birthday is Sunday the 22nd. It's my 28th year on this uh, big, beautiful ball of dirt and smog. <laughs> um, and I feel like uh, death. I feel like dying, you know? And it took a long time for me to realize that every year around this time, I feel like dying. And my body interprets it as a physical feeling, but I think it's a more metaphorical thing. Like, I'm shedding my skin, casting off an old version of myself and becoming a new version of myself, which is really hard because my birthday is pretty close to the new year. So it's like I just get this from like Christmas and I have to deal with a bunch of family stuff. And I love my family, but they're nuts. And then I there's New Year's and it's like everyone's making their New Year's resolutions, you know, and everyone's like, oh, New Year, new me. And I'm like, now I feel like dying again. Were you born in 1994? 95. 95. Ah. Yeah, I'm right on the cusp. Although I was told that if at any point when you were looking at colleges, they said, hey, we actually have a Quidditch team, you're firmly a millennial. Just right in there. Did that happen? Did that really happen? Oh, yeah. I thought that was a joke. Oh, my God. No, no, no. That's a real thing. (laughs) I wanted to give you a a treat because it's your birthday when this comes out. Well, the day after. So Mm -hmm. I was going to remind you of some other things that are turning 28 along with you. Oh, wow. Um, Wait, hold on. Before you do that, the one cool thing about my birthday is I share it with Rasputin. Oh, the the Rasputin from the, the song? Rasputin. Yeah, from the song from, you know, the Russian aristocracy. Anyway, I thought that was neat. I found that out earlier this year. So sorry, go ahead. Okay, so here's some things that happened uh, 28 years ago. Uh, Bill Clinton was the president of the United States. Yep. That's crazy. I, I, he might have been president when I was born, too, actually. So I don't remember. When were you born? 99. I was four, so I don't recall. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. What else happened? Michael Jordan returned to the NBA. After a baseball career. DVDs were invented. That's insane. You're so old. DVDs were invented the year you were born. Now we don't even use them anymore. I was born probably before DVDs because I was a January baby. Wow, that's crazy. Playboy became legal again the year you were born. Nice. The internet. Um, O.J. OJ Simpson was set free. A lot of sports news is big. Hold hold on. The internet, 95? Well, it took off. It took off in 95, apparently. Yeah, it was invented beforehand. (laughs) I'm I'm not older than the internet. Um, the most popular TV shows were Seinfeld, Friends, and ER, so that kind of explains a lot. Okay. And, um, the highest ranking movies of the Mm -hmm. year were Die Hard, Toy Story, and Apollo 13. Wow. Animation has really come a long way since you were born. That's true. Yeah. Toy Story is like 
freaky when you watch it now. It's not that bad. I mean, it's their toys, right? So they're already kind of They, they like freaky. blink one at a time. That's intentional. They couldn't animate their blinking. Yeah, they could. I feel very adamant about this. <laughs> um, I haven't watched Toy Story in like, I don't know, 15 years probably. So I probably don't remember. <laughs> um, You've got a friend in me. <laughs> You've got a friend in me. I prefer Bugs Life. All of your impressions sound like very heavy in the Kermit. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Kermit you can do. And then like the rest of them are just like Kermit impersonating someone else. So 95 was in the Zodiac, the year of the Muppet. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, we've got a great show coming up for you. Nate Gowdy's our guest. Always great to have Nate around. All that and more after these messages. Seattle Public Theater proudly presents This Bitter Earth, the story of love challenged by political reality. Experience the life and reality of Jesse, a thoughtful black playwright, and his boyfriend Neil, a white Black Lives Matter activist, as they navigate their life together. As passions and priorities collide, this couple is forced to reckon with issues of race, class, and the bravery it takes to love out loud. Directed by Brandon Ivey, This Bitter Earth runs January 27th through February 19th at Seattle Public Theater. Tickets and information available at seattlepublictheater.org. Will you marry me? It's the question you were waiting for. Now, let us help plan your perfect day. The Seattle Wedding Show comes to the Seattle Convention Center January 28th and 29th. Over 350 wedding experts to help you create your dream wedding. Find your photographer, florist, and caterer. Sample cakes and enjoy daily fashion shows. The Seattle Wedding Show, January 28th and 29th at the Seattle Convention Center. Use discount code SGN for 20% off tickets at WeddingShow.com. Ever dreamt of sharing your life story in a memoir? Thought about writing a novel with the queer characters you've always wanted to read? Professional editor Sheila Loesch specializes in working with first-time authors to take them from first draft to final copy. She's local, she's queer, and she's dedicated to telling your unique story the way you've always wanted to. Visit SheilaLoesch.com. That's S-H-E-I-L-A-L-O-E-S-C-H.com to get started on the book you've always wanted to write. Hi, this is Dr. V. Hill with V. Hill Family Medicine. Ever wish your doctor knew you by name, understood where you were coming from, and listened to your unique health concerns and worries? I have built just such a practice where the focus is on you and the care delivered is in line with your values and ideals. Learn more about affirming primary care at V. Hill Family Medicine. Visit vigilmd.com or call 253-693-0071. Joining me today via Zoom, perhaps the SGN's greatest success story in the last decade or so, a photographer for the Rolling Stone, a freelancer, he's done so many things, it's, it's impossible for me to list all of them. Mainly, what we're going to be talking about today is your book, Insurrection. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, they's and them's Nate Gowdy. Nate, it's great to have you on the show finally. How are you? Hey, hey, I'm I'm great. I'm doing fine and I've just put out a book and uh, I'm in promotion mode. I'm amazed by your story here because you were at the January 6th insurrection. Can we talk about that a little bit? I mean, just how did you know to be there? I'd been covering uh, presidential politics and protests since, you know, the the rise of uh, Donald Trump around 2015 and 
It's led me to uh, 25 states and uh, 300 political events across the country over the years. And uh, I've probably been to, leading up to January 6th, roughly 30 Trump MAGA rallies and Trump appearances and 20 Trump MAGA adjacent events and protests. And so this, I saw this as the grand finale. Maybe one of the last times I would photograph MAGA. You know, I thought, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought it might end. You know, I thought I, I thought here, well, you know, kind of get the last of it and, and Trump's last stand. And, and so I was uh, following the news updates regarding January 6th, the ceremonial transfer of power. And yeah, I was just monitoring, you know, the news updates. And then I was already out east. I was in Indiana with family for uh, my immediate family's first Christmas without a uh, my mom, who'd passed earlier in the year, likely to COVID. And so it was really important to me that I spend it with them, even though all our extended family functions were canceled due to the raging pandemic. We had yet to have a vaccine at that point. You know, and I, I didn't even pack my camera gear or protective gear. I just, just brought my little Leica fixed lens camera just in case. You know, I didn't necessarily want to go to D.C. and I didn't know that I'd be able to even financially, you know, but mm -hmm. then I found that flights were super reasonable. And so I not only got to go there, but I, I started off flying into Atlanta to photograph a MAGA rally in rural Georgia and the historic Senate runoffs. And then I bopped over to Baltimore and took a train to D.C. just in time for the 6th. And this is not the first time you've been present for history happening either. You've also done uh, the anti-police brutality protests in Seattle. You, I mean, you've been doing this a long time, Nate. What is it like to live a life so close to the uh, political masses, the activists, the violence? I mean, didn't they put journalists in cages at MAGA rallies during the 2016 uh, elections that definitely one way to put it you know once it came time once trump's arrival was imminent they would put us in a pen half the time they're ported potty for us to use but uh, once i needed to use the bathroom and they wouldn't let me out you know <laughs> and so it's kind of yeah they would put us in there and and just part of the drill and we got used to it and it became normalized um you know, and a lot of campaigns like to have, you know, control over where the media kind of can go. But that, that that was another level of it. What drew me to politics was, you know, I've never been a great street photographer. I like the campaign atmosphere because it's staged and it's theatrical and, and it's this contained environment, but one in which you get to capture very real emotions of these people who rabidly support these politicians and, and people, you know, these so-called leaders. It's a front row seat to that. I've always been drawn to politics. And so, you know, I thought the project would end and, and a new chapter would begin after the inauguration of this country's first female president. And obviously, you know, here we are. And, uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't anticipate going to years of demonstrations in the streets and those escalating to violence. So I never anticipated going in this direction, but it's the story I've been following and I, I've been determined to see it through. Was there a moment during the insurrection where you were like, yeah, this will be a book? Or did it happen after the fact? What, what was the decision process there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. I, um, I always anticipated it would be a big book of this uh, political era. You know, a big tomb of, of my documentation of it. You know, over 300 events. But I, the book would be too big. 
and take me too long uh, to do it, you know, and meanwhile, I got to make a living, you know, I got to get by in Seattle. And so it was October, late October, 2021. And uh, I needed to pay rent. I have a really solid community and network here. And so my options were to, to book some family portrait gigs, you know, at the park, at the Arboretum to then go on holiday cards and which would end up on loved ones fridges or i could take a stab at monetizing this work i've been so passionate about and i could do something that i've wanted to do since i became a photographer art photo books are my favorite art form and i've wanted to get into it for a long time and just really haven't had the means and the idea to do just one day of photos was striking because i thought First of all, that it would take nearly as long as curating 300 something events of, <laughs> of pictures. And so I, I thought, well, curating one day, that's doable. And I can do that rather fast, probably. And, and then also what had solidified my resolve in doing a book about the insurrection was in September of 2021, it was Meet the Parents Day with my uh, then partner. And long story short, she'd warned me not to talk politics with them. They're very Trumpian and to redirect the conversation when her dad would try to bait me. And well, uh, dinner time, we had a few drinks in us. The day had gone smoothly. He kept trying to bait me. And I was, I mentioned, I, well, I was at the insurrection and I took pictures and he, he interrupted and, and, uh, and yelled, what insurrection? <laughs> and in, in an overcrowded Italian restaurant at happy hour wow. and and made a scene and his wife whispers to him, dear, I think he means January 6th. And that's when it just popped off, you know, and I basically was saying it was the literal definition of an insurrection. Mm-hmm. And 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 all the wait staff and bartenders, we were sitting at the bar because it was so crowded, would nod their heads whenever, you know, I said something, you know, I, which I saw out of the corner of my eye. And my partner was staring at paint dry on the wall. She had checked out. She'd seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just spiraled and turned into kind of a, a Larry David moment, you know, tragic comedy where, where we got in the car and he's asking me, tell me one thing I love about America. And (laughs) and I'm saying, well, I love, I like bald eagles, you know, and, and then he started talking about the invasion on the border. And I should mention that he's driving uh, a decommissioned police car, a police interceptor, a a Mm. 2008 Crown Vic. It's a fast car. It's fun to drive, but he's he's having trouble multitasking because he's so preoccupied with getting at me that he's driving ten miles an hour, and we're we're going. And he talks about the invasion on the border, and I said, "Well, hey, I'm going to stop you." Yeah, it's a racist diversion perpetuated by a racist president, voted in by racist voters. Well, that was my mistake. I had, I had just accidentally made things personal, and his wife, who's sitting in the back with me, who just put her hands on mine and said. You know, I love you, dear, but I disagree with you. She's now frothing at the mouth. And (laughs) I'm getting getting off topic, but she basically yelled, you're a liar. And I am not a racist. And and meanwhile, we get to my house and we go to exit the vehicle. And and my my then partner, she gets out. Her father gets out and they forget that we can't let ourselves out of the back of the former police vehicle right 
I'm stuck with her mom, who I've just called a racist, and I'm trying to tell her about, you know, well, this is white fragility, and and we're all a little racist. I mean, she's more racist than I am. But anyway, it was it was messy, and and it didn't help my relationship, but it did solidify my resolve to do this book because people need to see what happened that day, and and yeah, uh, so. <laughs> Was I didn't that... anticipate telling that whole story, but sure. you... <laughs> no, that's all right. But was that more pleasant or less pleasant than your typical MAGA interactions? <laughs> that was probably the most traumatic interaction I've had because I I liked these people fine and mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't want to create drama and and I didn't want her mom to go home crying. And this was the second time I'd met her mother. She just told me she loved me. And first time meeting her father, who's a real piece of work. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, no, that was definitely more traumatic at these rallies. A lot of uh, interactions, you know, people are people are people. They're mm -hmm. just uh, very problematic people who are uh, trained by their president at the time, this caricature of a leader to not you know to not trust or like us uh meaning us journalists photojournalists and documentarians and basically when people come at me i just say hey i'm i just see what i see and that's just how you look what i want to know is so they don't refer to it as the insurrection that's anymore. triggering to them. it's okay so that's become politicized even though that's what was happening they just call it January sixth. There's no like other word for it. Good question. Uh, I don't. I don't know what they call it or if they talk about it or want to acknowledge it. But basically, it started happening on that day where the right wing echo chamber of talking heads and and pundits, you know, led by Fox News, were already bringing up conspiracy theories. You know mm -hmm. that that overlap and often they rival one another, but somehow become complimentary in their minds, you know, and mm. this was a Fed. They, well, I guess, yeah, they call it the Fed surrection because okay. that's what Tucker Carlson labeled it. I've met a lot of them who claim it was just Antifa, a right wing boogeyman yeah. dressed in Trump hats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I actually encountered that at a, a landmark two day trial in Santa Fe where I was the eyewitness. And it was the first time in a court of law that a, uh, a defendant has been deemed an insurrectionist and, and determined to be unfit for office. It was a Coy Griffin, who at the time was Otero County Commissioner in New Mexico. And he uh, he was also Cowboys for Trump founder, who uh, his claim to fame was President Trump retweeting him when he said that the only good Democrat's a dead Democrat. And this guy, when I was on the stand and he was cross-examining me, kept trying to get me to admit that could have been people dressed up as Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol. And, and I would admit to the existence of Antifa or, or you know, what is Antifa? You know, and, right. and obviously he couldn't answer that question either because uh, his line of questioning went nowhere. It's always funny to me that they're like, well, the anti-fascists, all of them hate us. You know, it's like, well, if if they're against fascists and they don't like you, have, have you thought about maybe rebranding? <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing to me because I consider myself Antifa to an extent, anti-fascist. We were both at the at the protests, at the riots in different capacities. I was not there in a journalistic sense, but it is 
astounding to me how terrified the right is of a very, very loose coalition of, well, essentially infighting and, you know, no real central anything. There's no Antifa, like, president or there's no grand wizard equivalent of Antifa, you know what I mean? But they can't wrap their minds around that. So it's like, it's a big, scary organization for them. But it's not. It's just a bunch of people who don't like fascists in, to varying degrees of activism. If he would have said black block, is it technically possible for to, someone to dress up as someone else? You know, sure. Could black block dress up as someone else? Sure. But I was there and I have eyes and uh, these were, <laughs> you know, these were predominantly 30 to 60 year old white men with beards and Trump hats. And uh, they're not wearing masks. Mostly you're on the front cover of your book with your you had a selfie stick or something. What's going on there? <laughs> I love that. Um, the soft cover edition. Uh, that's not me. I think everyone likes that cover, that image on the cover. Um, it's a different cover for this new hardback mm -hmm. that I'm uh, promoting, uh, that I've redesigned and, and spent, you know, basically it's the first edition, but with the uh, five more months of uh, design and typesetting experience under my belt and a forward by DC Metropolitan Police Officer uh, Daniel Hodges, who I became acquainted with at the trial in Santa Fe. He was the one who is, who is uh, and you've certainly seen We've all seen the uh, footage of the police officer being uh, crushed in the doorway in the tunnel where the worst of the fighting combat was happening. But anyway, back to the cover. That's not me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, sorry. Yeah, but I love the. I think that's why people took to the cover because it, he does resemble me. And if I would have been smart, I would have looked more like him that day wearing a American flag bandana around my face uh, as opposed to just an you know, I would have worn something like that over my N95, which uh, othered me among that crowd. You know, sure. here I am, a, I'm a white guy. So they couldn't be 100% certain I wasn't just another soldier for the cause. But here I had cameras, uh, which labeled me as fake news in their minds. And then mm -hmm. I had uh, N95, which meant I, uh, you know, uh, subscribed to science. And, and safety. And, and I'd like to note that January 6th at the time was the deadliest day of the pandemic, 4,000 deaths reported. What I also love about this cover is it's got clear like Trump supporter. You've got a guy on the soft cover that has a cowboy hat that's also an American flag. Uh, this is all audio, so I'm, I'm describing it for the listeners here. Yeah. And then we've got in the back, beyond all these flags and American flags and Trump flags, there's a guy holding a sign, a picket sign that says, Jesus saves. It and was, I love that. Religion undergirded everything that happened that day. These people fashioned themselves as holy warriors. I was the first non-embedded journalist with them that morning, trailing them. I was attacked within 10 minutes. They ditched the ellipse at the rally before it even started. It was like kids uh, ditching class, you know, who were up, quote unquote, up to no good. And they were marching toward the Capitol, chanting, fuck Antifa. After the attack, I was okay. I, I, I'm quick on my feet, but uh, it did surprise me because usually my cameras offer some level of safety because they're aware of optics too. And so that's my superpower. You know, that's my weapon. And so they marched and, you know, they posed for photos in front of the east front of the Capitol and they uh, kneeled for pre-war prayer. 
And that's terrifying that humanity has done some terrible things in the name of our gods. And and here they were praying on what they were about to do for his blessing or, or their God's blessing. You know, they wore shirts and they have flags that say Trump is our president. Jesus is our Lord or our savior, I mean. So it's a it's a theocratic movement to some extent. What do you think's next? What do you think's next for the for these Trump supporters for the religiosity of it all? It's it has not slowed down. It seems if we're really looking. Well, it seems like uh, uh, insurrection and rebellion against the government and treason. You know that I thought Trump would be disowned a little bit at least by those in power after that. And instead, they've rallied around him. And they now seem to be abandoning him because they've determined him to be a loser. As long as he's a winner, they support him. But when he's a loser, he loses his pull, you know, and Mm -hmm. influence. And so I think MAGA is here to stay. He's inspired a lot of uh, a new crop of uh, leaders led by DeSantis, uh, governor of Florida, I don't I don't know what's to come. I just know things are going to get real bad and they are getting bad with the judicial coup that's happening with the Supreme Court. And that's going to be happening for a long time. We're only kind of coming up on round two of their judicial activism. I don't know. It's just going to get bad and worse and worse. And we we're all so tired and been under so much duress for so long that a lot of people, a lot of us are in survival mode. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't even want to go there and talk about it. And so you know, this book, it's its a day a lot of people don't even want to acknowledge, even people who are against it, because it's so triggering. Mm-hmm. And it's so gnarly. And so I, uh, it's weird to be pushing a book and to spend 14 months making a book that, that you know, a lot of people don't, can't even, you know, I talk about it and they're, they're they shut down, you know, or well, Nate, thank you so much for being on the show to talk about your book and to talk about your experience. It's always a pleasure to just chat with you. Where can we find you online? Thanks. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at Nate Gowdy, N-A-T-E-G-O-W-D-Y. Uh, that's uh, uh, basically my last name is Howdy, but with a G. And you can pre-order the book. This first edition run of 666 books sold out, but the hardbound editions are incoming. And you can pre-order those at my website, which is also my name, www.nategowdy.com. They'll begin shipping later this month. And I have a lot of books to sell. And and uh, this is, I'd like to note, this is the only visual chronicle of the attack on the Capitol on January 6th uh, in existence in book or magazine format. That's mind boggling to me. But, uh, you know, why is it, you know, some photographer from Seattle uh, I had to do this alone. I, I see I see that as just a problem with our current reality. Uh, mm. But I'm proud of it and uh, and hope people are curious enough. I think it's important that people have something they can look in their hands and ruminate on and, and or I'll show their friends and say, uh, you know, let, let's not let this happen ever again. Right, thank you again so much for being on the show. Uh, all of that will be in the show notes. Uh, Nate Gowdy, everybody. I have to say, Nate is, like, quite literally one of the most interesting people I know. Like, just, the guy's seen a lot, you know? Yeah. What do you want to talk about today, Lindsay? We got a lot of news. We got some Pope news, sort of, which we haven't talked about in a while. Uh, The uh, Diocese of Des Moines has barred preferred pronouns and restroom access 
The original headline for this was actually really misleading before we edited it, but it was like, the Diocese of Des Moines doesn't care about your pronouns. Iowa Catholics don't care. And I was like, oh, that's really inclusive. And then I read the article <laughs> and it was not inclusive. One of my friends the other day was just talking about this and was like, it's so funny that religious people are so against pronouns. Cause like, if you turn on any like Christian rock station, all their songs are just pronouns. It's just like, he, you know, him. <laughs> If Jesus is the embodiment of God, right, he's the son, but he's also the embodiment, he's the Holy Spirit, but in Messiah form, he had to choose to be a boy. So he chose to come out as he, him. You know, God has no physical embodiment. So if they're trying to say that, you know, it's your genitals that make you a man, there's nothing that makes God a man. God is God is clearly gender neutral. It, it amazes me that a lot of people do think of God as having a dick. Yeah. Because that makes the virgin birth... Not a virgin birth. Not exactly, no. I have to say, the virgin birth led to a lot of my anxiety as a child. Were you afraid that you were going to harbor the second coming? I was afraid. Yeah, I was afraid that I would be chosen. I was like, I'm pretty cool, you know? Like, if he's going to pick a virgin, probably this eight-year-old over here that goes to Sunday school every week... So yeah, that was just, that was terrifying. And we didn't have, you know, comprehensive sex education. Mm -hmm. So nobody could explain that to me. Huh. Being a Catholic's fun. Yeah, I, I would imagine it's not. <laughs> I studied, you know, philosophy of politics, ethics, and religion. I think about religion a lot. I actually have a lot of religious texts. And my favorite so far, Gnostic Gospels, like the Gospel of Judas. Jesus tells Judas in this story, hey, by the way, uh, you're going to betray me but it's chill. It's cool. I just need you to take the fall for this. And then it's all part of God's plan. Right. And then it's like in the, in the main Bible, you don't see this part of the story. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so Judas is like this great betrayer, but if everything is God's plan anyway, then, you know, anyway, we've gotten off topic. I'm sorry. I just, maybe because I don't have that religious trauma, Christianity is really, really fascinating to me because there are so many little inconsistencies that build and build and build and build. Well, and they cover their asses great in Christianity, you know, because if you question the inconsistencies, they'll just tell you, you know, well, that's what having faith is, is believing when you don't understand. And that's super not what having faith is in other religions. I was thinking of converting to Judaism for a little bit because I really do enjoy the aspect of like, there are stories where people <laughs> are like, God's like, hey, do this thing. And folks are like, no. Not right now. I'm busy, dude. Like, look, you're up there. You got your shit up there. I'm here. And the, yeah, I just, I really love that aspect of it and sort of questioning everything. There's even like a sect, a type of Judaism where they don't have a rabbi or like anyone, you know, telling them what to think and believe. They just kind of get together and do the practices and like discuss it among themselves. Like anarchists. Like a book club? Yeah, like a book club. I mean, you know, there are Christian book clubs out there as well but they generally are church associated these ones kind of have their own thing it's really interesting and islam as well is very much like hey question learn uh and uh figure it out you know it's not always practiced as such but that's the case for a lot of like the conservative versions of each religion especially the abrahamic stemming ones are very very different Anyway, fuck Iowa. That was the kind of point of that whole story. We should probably talk about really quickly the fact that 
West Virginia wants to make it a felony to be trans in public. Yeah. And we should probably talk about Congress in general. Let's maybe start with West Virginia and then we can, um, you know, hop on over to a more generalized conversation about what we can expect from the next two years of Congress. Congress. Yeah. That was my Lin-Manuel Miranda impersonation. I don't like that guy's (laughs) voice at all. (sighs) I like him. I'm sure, no, I'm sure he, he seems nice. He seems like a nice enough guy, but like, where's his fucking flow, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, trans folks, listen up. This is important. Uh, West Virginia, home of the Shenandoah and the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains and the Mothman, our beloved, beloved Mothman, uh, a bill proposed in the West Virginia state legislature would make it a felony to, quote, expose minors to transgender people, drag shows, or depictions of trans people or drag queens at all. The measure is called SB 252, and it's really rough. According to the bill, for the purposes of any prohibition, protection, or requirement under any and all articles and sections of the Code of West Virginia protecting children from exposure to indecent displays of a sexually explicit nature, such prohibited displays shall include, but not be limited to, any transvestite and or transgender exposure performances or display to any minor now the wording there already problematic the use of the word transvestite is incredibly draconian um and incredibly Mm -hmm. outdated and it would also bar any obscene matter within 2500 feet of any school it brings back the age-old question when it comes to obscenity laws but you know how do you define obscene because you could say that the depiction of Jesus on the cross is obscene because in a lot of these depictions, he is scantily clad or naked. Can children then not wear a cross to school? It begs a lot more questions to be answered that you know they can't answer. Also, the punishment is up to five years in prison and or up to $25,000 of a fine for this felony. People have been talking about this a lot. Aaron Reed, who I follow on TikTok, There we go. There's a TikTok reference for you from my side of the table. She brings up a lot of really good points. Like, would trans teachers have to quit their job in West Virginia? Would it be illegal for trans parents to come out to their kids? What if you see, like, a poster for a trans Mm -hmm. or drag event just around? You know? Like, kids are everywhere. They're just part of society. It's so vague in how it envelops everything and so specific on the punishment. What's interesting is these are people that try to tout freedom that america is so great because we're so free but then at the same time they are parents that say you know well we want to enforce the way that we want to parent our children and the things we want to shield our children from to all children and like that in itself is not free right and it's also a matter of like how do you know if someone's trans Mm -hmm. like (sighs) being clocked is such a rough experience when you're trying to present a certain way already. But trans folks that are cis-passing out there, Mm -hmm. are they going to force us to wear some sort of signifier? When are they going to introduce the armbands? That's what crosses my mind every time I see legislation like this. I'm non-binary, and I don't always dress very masculine. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes I'll wear lipstick and I'll dress in sort of a more provocative way. You know, I want to feel more feminine sometimes. 
And sometimes I pass, and sometimes I don't, and sometimes I don't give a fuck about passing. But the anxiety that I already feel in a liberal place like Seattle where I could still get hate crimes just for wearing, like, lipstick outside of my apartment is palpable. It stresses me out a lot. So for those of us who do pass, who do look the gender that they're trying to present, what does that mean? What does it mean to be trans in a world where anything trans-adjacent is a felony? can have you locked away. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it reminds me a lot of the Nazis because I also don't always look Jewish, but because of my last name and heritage, I would have been locked away. It's fucking disgusting. It's fucking disgusting that they're trying to do this and people should be angry about it. It brings up a lot more questions too about how fascist are they going to take these laws because like you were saying you can't identify somebody based on how they dress if they're trans you know we've talked a lot on this show about like Harry Styles dressing very femininely but Harry Styles has not come forward and said that he's anything other than cis you know um mm -hmm. so if if Harry Styles came and had a concert in you know a small town where they've got one of these laws are they going to arrest him for wearing a dress or is he just allowed to wear a dress because he's cis? Well, then, you know, are you going to go up to everybody and ask them, how do you identify and how are you going to do that if you don't even respect people's pronouns in the first place? You know, it's just... This law, I would argue, is fascist. Mm -hmm. It is a way of controlling people so that you only see a certain type of person, demonizing a certain type of person to cause fear because you don't understand a certain way of life in order to lock them up and put them away. Laws like that have existed throughout the American history. The Jim Crow era laws. Some places still haven't completely outlawed slavery, right? So, look, <laughs> when, I, when I say fascism could happen here, we're not that fucking far off. America's supposed to be land of the free, right? It's not. But if you want to put your money where your mouth is, West Virginia, Vote this shit down. At least the good news I think that you can take from this article is the bill is just proposed. There is no way that this bill could be passed because of, like we've said, all of the logistical issues that stem from it, let alone the fact that it is latent fascism. And if something like this were to be passed, there are organizations like the ACLU that would be quick to jump on and challenge it because it is unconstitutional as well. That could maybe bring us to a good transition to talking about the rest of the changes we're seeing in the United States Congress because bills like yeah. this, we are going to see a lot more of them proposed much higher up, probably in the Federal House of Representatives because there is a slight Republican majority there now. It's terrifying to see these bills in the news, but we have to remember that just because they are being proposed doesn't mean they're being passed. It takes a lot of people to pass a bill and only a small minority of people to propose one. Yeah, let's talk about that. So the new Speaker of the House? Yes, for now. What is his name again? McCarthy. So in case you're worried if we're heading into a new McCarthy era, uh, we are. <laughs> right, yeah. Wasn't this guy a Trumpist? Like, wasn't yes. Wasn't he like, in support of the insurrection? Kind of. Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. He started off in support of Donald Trump, was endorsed by Donald Trump, and then after the insurrection, he 
spoke out at some point not in favor of the insurrection, basically saying we need a peaceful transition of powers, as actually a lot of Republicans did. And that got him a lot of flack from people that back mega that are, you know, hardcore believers that the election was stolen. And once the Republican Party kind of as a whole realized that that sentiment was not going away, even though Trump was not reelected, he kind of did some backpedaling. And he's a bit wishy-washy at this point. He's definitely backing the far right and mega and Trump, but mostly to keep a stronghold on the power that he has in the party. I don't know if he necessarily believes this the same way that other Republican Congress members like Marjorie Taylor Greene do. But one thing that was interesting with his election is that it was the first time in over a hundred years that there was not just like a simple unanimous vote for the Speaker of the House. Uh, traditionally, the Speaker of the House is just the leader of the party that has the majority in the House. But because of his backpedaling that he did around January 6th, far-right members of Congress did not vote for him. They withheld votes to prevent him from obtaining the seat and ended up ultimately eking out a lot more power from him in this Congress. So they now have the power to call a vote to basically kick him out and re-elect another Speaker of the House whenever they want to before this, it was only major leaders in Congress that could call that vote. Now anybody can. So this puts him in their pockets a lot more because if he wants to keep this job security, he's going to have to stay pretty popular with his party. I don't love that he exists. Yeah. <laughs> I have no take on this other than fucking bummer. You know what I mean? Like there's mm -hmm. nothing about this that is a silver lining for me. No, it just kind of keeps getting worse too because it's like yeah. if he at least had retained the previous rules of the House of Representatives that only major party leaders can come forward to ask for his resignation, then he could still refuse to vote on or exercise conversations about ridiculous laws like outlawing drag queens, you know. They already know because we have a Democratic, and I guess here's our silver lining, we have a Democratic majority still in the Senate, and we have Joe Biden in the White House, so we're not going to be seeing ridiculous laws like this passed, because even if they do get passed through the House of Representatives, where the Republicans hold a slight majority, it's very unlikely that they would be passed by the Senate, and if they did, the President could still veto them. But it will bring more conversations that question and invalidate identities that people hold and we know that that makes things really difficult in terms of mental health and also just public stigma. We can probably predict to see more repetition of the violent crimes that we've seen in recent years spiking against the LGBTQ community, which is really tragic. It's not doing any help for normalizing our cause, but at least we held a uh, democratic majority in the Senate. Yeah, but won't that create gridlock? Yes. Like, oh yeah, nothing's gonna get done. <laughs> yeah, nothing's gonna get done for the next few years. Uh, but nothing's gonna be undone either, which... That's fair. That's the big one, and we don't have Mitch McConnell as the leader of the Senate, so... Is he not dead yet? God, just get rid of him. Sorry, it's ad hominem, <laughs> but he does look like if someone took the bones of a tortoise and, like, draped a human over it. I got nothing. I'm just I'm just fucking tired at this point, you know. But to to give any hope to our listeners out there, it would just be, you know, maybe keep your head down and don't listen to what they're talking about in Congress for the next 2 years. Um That's terrible advice. Sorry, Lindsay, but you got to pay attention. You got to you got to please, please, please don't let this discourage you from paying attention to the news just because it's all bad. Holy shit. 
we cannot let ourselves become ignorant over time. It's a reminder that when we, as queer people, as young people, exercise our right to vote, even though it can feel like it doesn't mean much, um, we are the reason that Mitch McConnell, you know, Yertle the Turtle, isn't in power right now. And it would be so much more dangerous if there was a Republican majority in both the House and the Senate. So, um, like you said, yes, we need to stay vigilant, not get discouraged, stay safe and vote in the next congressional election, which will coincide with the next presidential election, to keep these motherfuckers out of the White House and out of Congress. And take part in your local elections as well. Take part in every single local political thing that you can if you want your voice to be heard. It's a lot easier to be heard on a local stage, on a statewide stage, than it is on the federal level. Federal is important. It is. It really is. But if we're looking at like a state like West Virginia, Right? Not a lot of gay folks out and about. Not as many liberal pockets, you know what I mean? So just take to the streets, take action, vote, do what you can. We've had a very politically charged episode from, you know, Nate talking about the insurrection to yeah. us talking about the new Congress. Um, Classic SGN. Show. Yeah. <laughs> Classic radio SGN, anyway. Do we have any good news to leave people with today? Anything, anything positive on your radar? The sun's um, shining in Seattle right now, so... Yeah, the sun came out today. I could share some cute pictures of Peter on our Instagram account, if that would if that would make y'all happier. The, uh, the Bearded Drag Imperial Court, National Bearded Empress Pageant, announced that it had entered a new day, a new dawn, a new era, oh. by proclaiming Kenzie the first National Pacific Northwest Bearded Queen uh, at Skylark Cafe right here in Seattle. Wow. Yeah. Can you go see her there? Is she on display? No, she's a human oh. person. Oh, I thought she was an actual bearded dragon. Bearded drag queen, dude. Oh! <laughs> I... We'll see you in the funny pages. <laughs> Radio SGN is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Lindsay Anderson and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show was provided by TRG Banks and Jesse Spillane, or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on sgn.org or wherever you find podcasts. <laughs>